a shout out to all our our audio visual uh, crew, our you know camera setup, the lights, and the this has to be broken down and set up every week. And I'm just these guys are heroes. I mean, they're here at eight in the morning putting uh, all this stuff together so we can have an excellent experience together. Uh, if you're watching us online, want to say hi. Uh, we are excited that you're watching us. Uh, I'm sure my mom's watching. Hey, mom. Um, I uh, and then also, you know, we have some awesome, um, just hardworking brothers uh, in, in the church here. That uh, it's so cool when their their um, employers and their uh, workforce kind of honors them. Uh, for the job well done and what they're doing. And I just want to lift up my good friend David Cortez. He's a detective here for the LAPD. And they were ju- he just got awarded a couple weeks ago Detective of the Year for um, his division. So I want to give him a shout-out. If, if David... David's right here. Um, you can see the shine off. No. Um, but, you know... If you ever, if David ever asks you questions, just know he will find the answer of what's going on in your life. You can hide all you want to, but he will find you out. But I, I just am, am inspired by the example that he's worked so hard, has been such a great light in his division, and they, the, the people around him have acknowledged that and have seen him and said, you know, I have awarded him with that honor. So it's, it's really a very special honor. Um, I do also, you know, we've had several health, uh, several of our members have health uh, setbacks, and we've been praying uh, for these brothers and sisters, and one of them was one of our elders, uh, Joe Eads, and I just want to say, it's awesome to have Papa Joe in the crowd here today, he's in the back right there, it's good to have you back with us, Joe, um, he's still, you know, uh, he's still doing some therapy, physical therapy there at the VA, and he's staying there, but his wife was able to break him out for this morning. They, they gave him a pass. He was able to come today, and uh, so it's great to see you, Joe. We love you, and we want you to know our prayers are with you, and we're with you heart and soul. Amen. Um, we're going to continue our time uh, talking about um, a starting point, and what we've seen uh from last week's time together is that, you know, obviously everything has a starting point, including uh, our faith. Today's lesson is called Coming to Terms. Faith has a starting point. And what happens many times is because of our upbringing or because of, uh, you know, whatever we grew up with in terms of religion or faith or spirituality, uh, you know, our parents or grandma or whoever gave us a faith framework growing up. You know, God is good. God heals, God answers prayer, uh, these kind of things. And, and um, you know, no matter what religion you kind of come from or faith you come and come from, you know, as a child, you're sort of given, uh, many occasions, this sort of uh, framework. And yet what happens is as you get older uh, and you realize that, you know, that relative that you've been praying for did not get healed or that they're suffering, children are suffering around the world, or there's hunger and there's poverty, and, and then you go to college maybe, and uh, the, the question about creationism and uh, was there really a Noah's Ark, and the Bible sort of gets uh, plugged and, and, and poked at to where now our faith framework is sort of confused, and many many on many occasions we end up walking, we kind of drift away from what we maybe grew up with. And so what we found is that many times adults need a new starting point. 
that when you get to a certain age, you realize maybe I need to start all over again or return. And so um, last week we studied a conversation that the Apostle Paul had uh, with some philosophers in the city of Athens. And, uh, you know, for a group of people that had no New Testament, they had no Old Testament, they had no uh, Bible, uh, Paul gets in there and starts uh, conversing with them. And, uh, and what we said last week, which, you know, I hope it doesn't cause any confusion here. We believe in the Bible. We love the Bible. I am a strong follower and believer in God's word. But in many times in our society, uh, even especially now, the Bible, the idea that the Bible says is not usually an adequate starting or returning point for many adults. Because what happens is we start thinking, the Bible says a lot of stuff. The Bible says a lot of different things that may not uh, even be relevant to what we go through here in our experiences in life. And, you know, this this series is, this what we're doing here is really good if you're, if you like came to Easter and were like, okay, I'm going to start coming to church again uh, after Easter and you're, you're kind of returning back to faith or kind of understanding or, or questioning. Uh, it's also good for those of you who follow Jesus and are Christians as you are, I think this will equip you in how you have conversations with coworkers and family members and stuff. But, you know, the idea that the Bible says, uh, you know, it doesn't really work so well in our uh, context in our society. And so what we did yet last week is we saw how Paul walked into a, a, a uh, an area where a lot of philosophers were talking and thinking, and he points out uh, the fact that they're very religious and spiritually minded, and he, he, he basically talks about the sovereignty of God and ends with how God has given us proof through a man that this man will judge the world. And so that we talked about last week how the fundamental question that we will have to wrestle with in starting our faith again is who is Jesus? The starting point for the Christian faith is who is Jesus? It's not was there a Noah's Ark. It's not was there a flood that took over the world. It's not were Adam and Eve really naked. It wasn't, you know, it's not... You know, seven days of creation, and is it seven thousand day days, or it's seven? It's not these questions that those are important, and those are good questions to have. But this is the question that we must wrestle with: Who is Jesus? And today, and you know, if you're if you're interested in listening to that conversation, uh, please go to our podcast or our YouTube channel, and you'll, you'll see what we talked about last week. Today we're going to talk about a word that will always come up in religious conversation. You guys ready for this word? The word is sin. Sin. Even when you say the word sin, it's condemning. It's heavy. It's, it's strong. You don't use this term in everyday life. This term is mostly used in relation to God and spirituality. Like your boss doesn't call you into the office because of your sin. You don't get pulled over by the cops and given a ticket because you sinned, you know. Um, sin is almost entirely only used in a spiritual context. To say that we sinned has like a finality to it. It's not something that you hear every day. It can be extreme. Like a responsibility needs to be taken. It's condemning, right? You have sinned. 
I don't even tell it to my children. Rocky, you sinned. You know, like I don't, we don't use that. And so because this word is such a heavy, has a, such a heavy connotation to it, it's big, it's huge, it's evil, it's heavy. So instead of calling it sin in our society, what we've, what we've done is maybe use a different word instead. It's easier to bear. It's easier to talk about. And that word is not, it's not a great word to describe what sin is, but it's a word that we use all the time. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. We call it mistake. Mistake kind of takes the sting out of the word sin. Oh, well, mistake, but mis- well, I made a mistake. I just made a mistake. It's my bad. I just made a mistake. It's easier to say that because then everyone makes mistake. Right? Right? Raise your hand if you made a mistake. <laughs> I mean, come on. Everybody makes mistakes, right? And so it's easier to, to digest. That word is easier to digest. Mistake, though, mistake doesn't really... It, it, it takes the power away from the word sin. Mistake is taking a wrong turn. Mistake is like you messed up that problem in your math test. Mistake is like, you know, you forgot to pay the bill and now you're getting a late fee. Sorry, honey. You know, like that's, that's a mistake. That's an accident. Everyone makes mistakes. Mistake is I don't know better. There's an ignorance. There's a, in, there's insufficient knowledge when you make a mistake. Recently, a politician I just start right there. <laughs> Politician had a wife with breast cancer, had an affair with a filmmaker hired for his campaign, had a child with her, had the DNA results tampered with so that it wouldn't say he was the father, and used campaign funds to cover the affair. Denied that he ever had an affair, and then later denied that he was the father of the baby. And this was his quote. In 2006, two years ago, I made a very serious mistake. A mistake that I am responsible for and no one else. In 2006, I told my wife about the mistake. And so he uses this word mistake to sort of weaken what he... This is not a mistake. There's something really wrong with what he did. It's not just a simple, I'm sorry, honey, mistake. Here's the issue. Sometimes we make mistakes on purpose. Sometimes we have a four-year mistake. We make a mistake for, for four years in a row. It's the same mistake. Sometimes we, sometimes we, we, we make the same mistake over and over. It, we, have a, we have premeditated mistakes. And what you do with a mistake is you correct a mistake. You messed up, you make it better. You self-correct it. But what do you call this, though? Somebody's making the same mistake over and over and over and over again. There's something deeper going on here. It's not just, oh, sorry. Sinner. Sinner. See, a mistaker is somebody who doesn't have the right knowledge or or forgets. The sinner is someone who knows better and does it anyway. The premeditated mistaker. The guy making the mistakes all the time. It's not a mistaker. There's something deeper happening 
here. How about when you're doing, how about when you're doing well and you think, well, I'll just give in this one last time. I've been going four weeks with no mistakes. I'm just going to go ahead and make one mistake and then I'll recover later. There's something deeper going on there than oops, sorry. See, when Jesus talked about sin, he talked about it in terms of relationship. Because sin breaks relationships. Sin breaks relationships. And we say this time and time again. There's something, that politician, that quote that I gave you, there's, there's a broken relationship. With his wife, there's a broken relationship. With the people that he was entrusted to lead and to represent, there's a broken relationship even with the father of that child. I mean, the mother of that child. Sin breaks relationship. Jesus' purpose in talking about sin was restoration, not condemnation. Jesus knew that as long as you think you're just making mistakes, you will never seek the thing you need the most to restore the relationship. Well, I just messed up that one time. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. You ever, as a husband, you ever go to your wife and just say sorry? And it's just like, sorry, and just kind of move on? Like, that doesn't restore the relationship and the trust. There needs to be an exchange there. What do we call that? Forgiveness. A restoration requires forgiveness. But mistakes usually don't need forgiveness. Because I just made this wrong turn. Or I just forgot to send in the bill. It's a mistake. How restored is the relationship when you just say, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, my bad. Messed up. Sorry. Sorry doesn't restore the relationship. The only way the relationship is to be restored is to take responsibility and ask forgiveness. And the only way to forgive is if that person gives you that forgiveness. You guys follow me here on this? Here's the thing. We are all, this is where I'm going with it. We're all sinners in need of forgiveness, not mistakers in need of correction. Jesus says, it's incredible what Jesus does with with this idea of sin. Instead of dumbing down sin, Jesus makes the standard so high. He says, let let me tell you how bad you really are and how much of not a mistaker you are, but a sinner you are. Let me just let me just tell you how bad you are. And people are are listening to Jesus and they're like, wow, I'm doomed. I'm 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 done. Like there's never going to be forgiveness. And Jesus turns around and says, that's why I'm here. I'm here because you're doomed. I'm here for the doomed people. I'm only here for the doomed. Once you see that you're doomed, I'll be able to rescue you because that's who I came for. Jesus says, you'll never, you'll never know me unless you acknowledge something about you. And this is how Jesus teaches on it. It's incredible. Matthew 5. Jesus t- says to the people, it says in verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these guys were like, perfect. These guys had had taken all the laws and had dumbed it down so much. 
uh, that they and they were obedient to everything and they were the perfect people in society. And everybody knew they could never live up to a Pharisee's lifestyle. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness, you doing good things and being righteous surpasses that of these perfect people, you won't see or enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus brings the standard so high. Can you imagine being in that crowd listening to what Jesus just said? Let me make it, he says, let me make it more specific. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay, so that's completely different here. So murder is taking somebody's life. But now Jesus is saying, if I have feelings that could lead to that action, I'm subject to judgment. And then he kind of, come here, come here, let, let me, let me explain it even further. Because maybe you're not a murderous person. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now you can imagine all the men listening to Jesus at this point. What? Come on, Jesus. Are you serious? This is just like a natural thing that happens for men. It's not like we intentionally go around looking lust. Jesus says, no, no, no. You're not understanding. This is this. Sit down. Let me, let me help you understand this. The standard is so high because you need to understand something about yourself. And if you don't understand this about yourself, you'll never understand me or accept me. He raises the bar so high. And everybody's like, oh, I can never do this. And he says, yeah, exactly. That's why you need me. Because you won't be restored unless you acknowledge your need for that restoration. And so then we see story after story in the Gospels of what Jesus does. There's a woman that's brought to him uh, who has been caught in the act of adultery. And they bring her before Jesus and say, and they, and the Pharisees are like, look, you see, she's been caught. We need to, the Bible, you know, the Bible says we need to stone her. And Jesus says, well, hey, if anybody doesn't have any sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, they start leaving. And Jesus, knowing he's the pure lamb of God, right, comes to the woman and says, hey, I just want you to know. I don't condemn you. Now, go leave your life of sin. Stop sinning. It's not a mistake. This is sin. Stop sinning. But I don't condemn you because I came for you. Jesus tells stories about this. And, you know, one of the most famous stories he tells is the um, the one in Luke 15 where uh, it's uh, um, the prodigal son, right? We've heard the story of the prodigal son. And this, this young man comes to his father and says, I want you to die. Give me my inheritance that I may go swan, you know. And so basically there's, and what's happening here is that there's no relationship between the son and the father. And that's why the son's able to come and just 
get the, 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 the inheritance. The father gives it to him, lets him go, doesn't chase him. The young man squanders his wealth. And as he's eating the food of the pigs because he's starving, it says, man, I, I should just go back to my father and be one of his hired men. They eat better than I'm eating right now. And, and he starts re- rehearsing sort of a story, uh, uh, not a story, but, but what he's going to tell his dad. And, and what he says when he comes home to his dad, his dad ar- wraps his arms around him and he says, Father, I have sinned. He didn't say I made a mistake. I shouldn't have never asked you for that inheritance. I should have never squ-. He didn't say it was a mistake. He says, I have sinned. I have sinned. I have broken the relationship. And what does the dad do? He doesn't even listen to him. He turns around, gets, hey, go get the calf ready, get the robe on him. I'm so happy he's here because this, this boy of mine, this son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost and now is found. This is Jesus' way of helping people to understand you, you will never know me unless you acknowledge something about you. He tells another story. I love this story. Luke 18. In Luke 18, verse 9, it says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and, and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. Now, we know who the Pharisees are. The Pharisees are the perfect, you know, righteous people. The tax collectors are the most hated people in that society at that time. They were collecting taxes from their own people to support a government that was oppressing them. Okay, so they were like the outcasts. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. You know, it's funny. We have people in our midst just like this. We fall into a trap of doing the right thing. If I do the right thing, it justifies me and makes me a good person. Oh, well, he's a good person. People have told me I don't really need God or a relationship with God because I'm a good person. I remember staying in the Bible with somebody one time and they ended up drifting and walking away from their faith and I saw them randomly years later and they're like, yeah, but I'm still a good person. And this idea of I'm doing good, I'm doing good things in the world, I'm, I'm doing what's good, kind of reconciles all the, in their mind, mistakes that they're making. But we have people like that. You know, I can fall into this trap sometimes. Well, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. This one setback or this one failure or this one lack of judgment, you know, where I knew the good I ought to do, but I still didn't do it or whatever. I'm okay because I'm still going to church. I'm still reading my Bible. I'm still helping people. I'm still serving. And I get into this mentality. And I think a lot of Christians can get into this mentality sometimes. As long as I'm doing good things, I'm okay. But Jesus takes this and contrasts it and, 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 and helps people to see that, no, this is not what I'm looking for. He says, but, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. 
For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee in the story had the mentality of, you know, I'm a, I'm a good guy. I don't do many things wrong, but, but if I do, it's just a mistake. The tax collector had a humble spirit. He called himself a sinner. He didn't even feel worthy to look up to heaven. And so like the Pharisee, we can think everything is good. Or like the tax collector, we can admit we are not a mistaker in need of self-correction, but we are sinners in need of restoration. Because recognition of sin paves the way to restoration. That relationship that's been broken because of your premeditated mistakes and your mistakes that you do over and over and over again, that broken relationship can be restored once you acknowledge something about yourself. It's more than, I'm sorry, my bad. It's an acceptance of a broken human state. You need to embrace who you really are in order to embrace who God wants you to be. As soon as you admit, God says, as soon as you admit, as soon as you acknowledge, I'm going to give you what a mistaker never asks for. And that's forgiveness. Forgiveness heals and restores the relationship. You know, we've been doing this. Um, we're going to do this this month, but a different person. I've invited a different person up here to share their story, uh, their starting point story. And so I'm excited to introduce uh, our sister here uh, from the singles ministry. Amber Bayardo is going to come at this time and share a little bit about her story. Good morning, everybody. Um, really excited to be here. Really excited to share. Thank you, Ruben, for the lesson. It's going great. Um, I can relate with both the Pharisee and the tax, the tax collector. And so before Christ, I was very mischievous. Um, that means being willing to... Oh, basically a troublemaker and being willing to do whatever it takes, whether it's stealing, cheating somebody, lying to somebody to get whatever it was that I needed or wanted. Um, and I just remember from the beginning, like being a young kid, and I was the baby of different, like my brothers and sisters are all 10 years older than me, so I learned how to lie really young. And... Uh, those are some of my first memories. It was my first language. I knew how to, uh, yeah, just get what I wanted. And so I can relate with the Pharisee because I was going to community college, and I met Courtney Branson and Greg Russell in a communications class. Um, this was like six years ago. And they asked me to church. They asked me to come to Bible talks. And each time they asked me, I just looked at them. I was like, 
I'm like way cooler than you guys. There's no way I'm going to Bible talk. But at the same time, I was like, sure, yeah, maybe. Okay. And um, we grew a relationship over time in that class. And I think that I saw their hearts. Like they just were so unashamed. Courtney Branson was so unashamed to love Jesus and be a disciple. And over time, I was like, dang, like, they're actually really cool. And they would share things with me that I didn't care to hear. So they'd be telling me about their job and this and that and what they did at church. And I promise I have a point to this, but I was like, okay, like, they're always sharing their life. Okay, whatever. Um, But it's crazy because after the class was over, um, I got, I had, many just like dark 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 secrets um in my heart and actually not like towards the end of the class Courtney and Greg did get me to look at the Bible a little bit and I remember sitting there and feeling much like then the tax collector they talked about relationship with their dad and I looked down and I was like my dad's in prison they cannot relate with me and they talked about just relationships and friendships. And I was like, God, like you, you've seen what I've done. You've seen my sin and you're not going to accept me and neither are they. And so it was really hard for me to come to um, terms with actually wanting to be a part of the light and be a part of even the Bible studies. And so I walked away from the first study I ever had just because of that, because I felt like it wasn't, I wasn't worthy of God. I wasn't able to trust him. And so the summer passed and um, it was really crazy because I, so those part of those dark secrets was um I was doing a lot of drugs. I was partying. I was after every desire that I had. Um, I had a boyfriend in high school who was my high school sweetheart, and I cheated on him with a close relative, and that really, like, made me insecure and shameful. And um, I knew that coming to Christ, I would have to face my sin. And so... So, yeah, so long story short, the boyfriend left me, and I just had a lot of time to think. And when I thought about what I wanted to do and following Christ, I thought about those disciples who were unashamed, who were um, there for me. And I was like, all right, I got to find them. And so this is the starting point. This was a starting point for me because... I knew that I had to find someone who would help me seek God because I didn't have it in myself to seek God. I was too ashamed. I was too just brought down by my own sin. And so this is a really cool, fun story. But I was like, God, if you want me to study the Bible, help me find that girl. So I, she told me when she was telling me things I didn't care to know that she lived in Lakewood, like a block away from me. So I was like, I'm going to get on my bike, and I hope I see her. Help me find her. So I'm riding my bike around Lakewood High School, and I'm like, dang, God, like, just let her stand outside somewhere, like, be in her car. And so I, I rode around for a good 30 minutes, and I didn't find her. 
and I got home and I was like, dang. And so then I was like, wait, I gotta think, I gotta think. And so I go, all right, she told me she works at David's Bridal. So I look up David's Bridal and there's only one at the town center. And so I called David's Bridal and I go, hey, I was like, is there a girl named Courtney who works there? And they're like, she just quit. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I just paused. And they go, but her sister works here. So they put her on the phone. I go, your sister found me at school. I want to talk to her. And before I could hang the phone up, Courtney was already calling. So I pick up the phone, and Courtney's like, oh, my gosh, Amber, yeah, I'll be there. And so her and Greg together picked me up, and um, it was done. Like, I studied the Bible, and they really helped me see my worth in Christ, and they helped me to see my sin they helped me get there. And um, you guys know there's a lot more once you study the Bible. There's a lot more, a lot of starting points. But for me, that was it. And it was, there had to be an ending point. There had to be an ending point. So what is your ending point? For me, it was cheating everybody in my life, being far from my family, doing drugs, really messing up my whole Self. I was like a walking zombie at LBCC. So that was my ending point. And so I needed to be at my end to come to a new start with Christ. And um, one of my little mantras is like, at the end of me is Jesus. And so all of those scriptures that talk about dying to ourselves and um, kind of leaving your old self behind, like we need to continue and do that daily. If that's, you know, if we want a new starting point, what are you ending? Okay. And so thank you so much for letting me share. And thank you again. (laughs) Thank you. You know, I really appreciate Amber sharing her story. Amber is uh, part of our singles ministry. She helps lead one of our small groups here in the singles. And it's just an awesome, uh, just a very encouraging sister. Uh, but I love what she shared, you know. Like, in order for her to have a starting point, she had to acknowledge, this is who I am. I had to come to my end in order to begin all over again. And this is exactly what Jesus wants for each and every one of us. He will not be able to restore unless you first acknowledge who you are. And you and I, we are not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of forgiveness and restoration. And so I want to challenge us today. We're going to take communion here in a couple minutes. And I want to challenge you, your move, your step, your what I want you to think about as we take communion. Number one is take a step. If you're here for the first time or you're attending, you've been coming around here for a little bit and you're just kind of curious about your own faith, I want to encourage you and challenge you to just just take a step. Maybe your step is coming to church next Sunday. Maybe your step is uh, linking up with a small group. Maybe your step is... um, having uh, a conversation with the person that brought you today to just say, hey, I, want, I, I don't know what this means, but I, I want to find this out. I want to figure this out. Um, 
I don't know what your step is, but I want you to consider uh, what, what, what is a step that I can take uh, towards Christ. And secondly, as you take communion today, as you take the bread, as you take the, the cup, you know that there is something within you that you keep on going to, you keep on messing up in, and, and it's not a mistake there's something deeper happening. And I would challenge you to acknowledge that, to admit that, to be able to pray through it or think about it and say, you know what? I, I keep on making the same mistakes. I, I am a sinner. Sinner. You know what I mean? That's who I am. And all the action, all the doing good things will not restore the relationship. The relationship will be restored when I begin to acknowledge and admit I am not a mistaker. I am a sinner in need of forgiveness and in need of restoration. This is starting point. A starting point wrestling with the question, who is Jesus? And a starting point wrestling with who am I before Christ? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we take communion this morning, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for his. Thank you for for the fact that he came in order to find and rescue the doomed. Uh, He brought the standard so high to help us understand our desperate need for restoration. As we take the the bread that represents the body of Christ, help us to acknowledge and remember um, how much how much we need forgiveness and restoration in our lives. As we take the blood, uh, the, the cup that represents the blood of Christ, help us to think about the, the the mistakes, the sin, really, that is that we are enslaved to at times that can only be washed away because of Jesus and His sacrifice. I pray today for all of us to take steps, to take a next step. I pray for all of us today to continue acknowledging and admitting who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.